0: Welcome to Tales from the In Between, a collection of stories from places that may seem familiar and others that may not. Tales from the In Between is a monthly storytelling podcast featuring writing by Kirk Johnson with narration and illustrations provided by Corey M. Crosdale. Make sure to follow at Tales from the In Between and at Corey M. Crosdale Art. For high quality versions of the episode illustrations available on Instagram. Our story today is The Tomb City, in which our narrator learns the price of obsession. This episode is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, Non Commercial, No Derivative Works 4.0 International License. You may copy and share the audio, but you may not sell it, and you may not alter it. Now, without further ado, THE TOMB CITY
1: I was just a boy the first time I heard tales of the tomb city. Mama had taken me to the bazaar, and I wandered among the smells of roasting meat, spices, and sweat, entranced by the sights and sounds of people from all over the world. Blonde-haired, blue-eyed men from the north, their faces scorched a deep and angry red by the merciless desert sun. The dark-skinned merchants in their green robes from the far south, in every imaginable location in between, a great stew of humanity. I reveled in it, borne along through the crowd by the slender, gentle hand of my mother. She stopped to gossip with one of her friends, and I slipped away into the current of jostling bodies. I shuffled aimlessly from stall to stall, enjoying the sounds of commerce, merchants hawking wares in a dozen different languages, men and women haggling over the price of some piece of meat or pottery for a knot of onlookers. As a child, I was invisible to most of the adults, a short obstacle to be ignored or stumbled over. A voice, deep and ragged, called out from the smoky interior of a stall. Boy, come here. I turned, squinting through the haze into the shop of an incense seller. Two dark eyes and something gold glittered at me through the gloom of the stall's interior. Looking around dumbly, I turned back to the merchant. Me, sir? The glint of gold beneath those piercing eyes again. Yes, you boy. Come in, come in. I am bored of making no sales and have stories to tell. I looked around for my mother. After a few panic seconds, I spotted her, still deep in gossip of her friend. I turned and entered the richly scented stall. He was a thin, dark-skinned man in a loose-fitting shirt and a cracked leather vest. What other items of clothing he wore I cannot say, as he never emerged from behind his counter. Chains of gold glittered from the open V of his collar, and a gold tooth winked at me from the top row of his smile. There's a good boy. Nice of you to indulge a bored old merchant on a slow, hot day such as this. Tell me, true boy, have you ever heard tell of the Tomb City? I shook my head. The merchant nodded slightly, as if confirming something to himself. "'It is a sad tale, but one worth the telling. That is, should you want to hear it.' He leaned forward expectantly, the braided gold rattling against his bony chest, I nodded my assent, the gold tooth flashed again. "'Very good. You may want to take a seat, boy. This is no short tale.' A long-fingered hand indicated the battered and balding rug before the counter. I took one last look over my shoulder at my mother, and then stepped forward, sitting cross-legged on the rug. The man ignited another stick of his wares, the smoke tracing lazy, drunken lines in the air before his face, his words scented with tinges of clove and cinnamon. The tomb city once had a name long ago, but that was lost to memory along with its location and its people. The city was ruled by a just and wise man, King Zemeinidus, a man much beloved by his people. A marvel to behold, the city was a great center of trade and learning. As you can imagine, the ruler of such a place was beset with innumerable offers of marriage to daughters of powerful men, each seeking to improve his position in the world. But King Zemeinidus refused them all, instead devoting himself to his people. Still, every day, they came. And every day, King Zamanados turned them away. She came one day to his court, her hair the last rays of the sunset as it clings desperately to the horizon. She had come to speak of the plight of her brother. He was presumed captured by bandits on a trading mission some months before. The king listened, enraptured by the woman's voice, and the passion ripped plain across her face. When she had finished the king dispatched soldiers to find the woman's brother and invited her to join him at the evening meal as his guest the woman was taken aback by the invitation but acquiesced after a brief moment of hesitation what began that evening in the audience chamber blossomed into a love affair that moved the pens of poets and the tongues of bards the city flourished drawing visitors from across the land to its bazaars and halls of learning then one day The king summoned the greatest of the city's artisans and builders. He looked ashen, dark circles beneath his once bright eyes. He commanded them to begin work on a tomb to be erected west of the city, a beautiful tribute to his great love. The artisans solemnly agreed, and construction began. A pall of mourning hung over the city, its people feeling the deep loss experienced by their beloved king. He began to withdraw from the public eye, holding fewer audiences. The king was not seen for days at a time. The day-to-day running of the city left to a small council of trusted advisers. Word began to spread among the people about lights glimpsed in the unfinished tomb late at night, some even going as far to say that they had seen the king himself wandering among the columns of the soaring monument. A year passed this way and the rumours continued to spread, as rumours do. The great tomb was completed, but the king did not appear to inspect it. It was said a procession of dark-robed figures bore a shrouded coffin into the tomb in the dead of night, but details differed too much among the accounts to put much stock in their words. The council of advisors continued to run the city, but things were never the same. Voices, once raised in praise of justice and innovation, now began to whisper of avarice and apathy. Once again, the king summoned together the artisans. He demanded a newer, grander tomb be constructed. The artisans were taken aback by this, but complied nonetheless. As construction on the new tomb began, the whispers of discontent in the city grew louder. Years passed. Two new tombs rose to flank the original. The king was only seen by a handful of his advisers, who urged him to abandon his solitude and retake the reins of his city. Consumed by his grief, the king refused to listen, and the city began a slow decline into despair and decay. Corruption and decadence found their way inside the once great walls and began to stain the noble soul of all kings and had worked to create. The king himself disappeared completely. His continued existence only hinted at by the lights glimpsed among the ever-growing tomb complex that had begun to edge closer and closer to the city. Years passed, and the transformation from a center of enlightenment and trade into decadence and depredation, was complete. Illicit and dark magics were well known to be readily available for purchase in the shops and alleys of the city. People left in droves as the thieves, warlocks, and assassins poured in to ply their vile trades. And still the tomb complex grew. It had become its own small city, silent spires reaching into the sky like accusing fingers. No one knew or truly cared about how the tombs continued to be built. Dark deals made with darker forces was the prevailing theory. By this time, all of King Zamanidus' council of advisers were long moldering in their graves, and the city barely resembled its original self. The soul of the place was corrupted, infested with an evil that ate away at it with the thousand gnawing fangs of cancer. It began to consume itself, its streets a riot of abandonment and decay. Eventually the city stood empty, the drifts of sand creeping in to drown it beneath the desert. Another sunken and vanished myth whispered among old men and into the ears of dozing children before sleep. Even at the end people still spoke of seeing lights in the tomb deep into the night. It was widely accepted Kings of Minos haunted the tombs, And as the city entered its death throes, it was apparent that it would all become one great tomb, a testament to the merciless and engulfing grip of love and loss. It was lost, a perfect reflection of the man who once ruled. It took me a moment to realize that the story was at its end. The words haunted me, clinging to my mind like the cloying smoke in the air. Shouts from the bazaar brought me back to reality and I rushed out of the stall as the sound of my mother's cries reached my ears. Mama scolded me shamefully in front of a crowd of people who had been attracted by her panic shouts, and my father did more than scold me when he returned home. But none of that mattered. I dreamt of the city that night for the first time. I reined in my camel as we crested the gravelly rise. It grunted in the instinctively annoyed way of which only camels are capable. Shading my eyes against the sinking sun, I glimpsed the crumbling spires against the sky on fire. I made camp that night within a stone's throw of the walls, though not near enough to glimpse the tombs. Once or twice over the course of the night I swore I had seen a strange green light within some of the distant towers though i managed to convince myself by morning that it was merely the excited fabrication of an exhausted mind drunk with the euphoria of discovery i broke camp and led my obstinate travel companion beneath the once breathtaking arch of the main gate the sightless eyes of statues staring down from near featureless faces tethering the camel to a collapsed column i proceeded to make my way through the sand-choked streets i had my pack and enough supplies for 3 days if I was sparing with my water. Thrust through my belt was my father's dagger, though I feared no spirits or ghouls as I explored the mummified corpse of the city I had dreamt of for nearly thirty years. I wandered among the ruins, delving deep into the sunken courtyards and cellars not yet swallowed by the creeping sand. In one such place the sun's rays spilled through a skylight, revealing an intricate design cut into the smooth stone of the floor. I noticed some rust-colored stains as I stepped over the intersecting arcs, but I didn't give them much thought. Determined to explore, I continued on. The light from the outer room barely penetrated into the two that adjoined it, so I was forced to light my lantern. Ancient crumbling rushes that may have once comprised the mat disintegrated beneath my boots as I crossed the floor, lantern held high. Deep stone shelves held an array of glass bottles, their contents long since reduced to dust. I spent some time carefully examining some of the books I had found there, the pages crumbling at the slightest touch. Cryptic symbols written in a crabbed hand were found on the remains of every page, and I saw little chance of their secrets ever being deciphered, so I left them to molder on the shelves. Leaving the books and bottles behind, I know that the light from the outer room had begun to shift. The design carved into the floor was now better illuminated. I could see symbols similar to those found in the books inscribed around the design's outer edge. The rushes on the floor had become more visible as well, and they revealed themselves to be thin bones whose origins I did not choose to guess at. Gingerly stepping over the bones and the seal, I made my way back into the streets. Much less curious about the shadow shrouded staircase I had glimpsed at the back of the rearmost chamber. I had no fear of anything lurking among the buildings. It was instead the profound feeling of emptiness that precluded my explorations of the city. It was a physical feeling, a pervasive, weighty presence that worried at the edges of my mind, threatening to take up residence there. I toyed with a golden charm dangling from the leather cord around my neck, a gift from Mama before she died. My nerves settled. I reminded myself of the real reason I had come, the tombs, the great reaching monuments whose construction had caused the decline and eventual desolation of both the city and its ruler. I made camp that night in the great square outside the broken gates of the palace, my fire the only light and warmth for untold miles around. Something was tugging at my mind, something I had noticed repeatedly throughout the day, but couldn't quite recall. That feeling of emptiness bore down on me from all sides, sweeping aside the feeling that had kneeled my subconscious all day on the mosquito wings. It made my sleep restless, and I rose sometime deep into the night to relieve myself. I had stopped about ten paces or so from the ring of firelight when I could have sworn I saw a ghostly green light moving in one of the high windows of the palace. When I looked again, it was gone. I was awake early the next morning and picked my way up the crumbling palace steps as the sun broke over the city walls. According to one of the handful of accounts I had managed to unearth about the city, the sole entrance of the tombs was found within the apartments of King Zamanodos. As I made my way through the palace, I glimpsed the splendor and majesty that had existed there before its ruler was consumed by grief. The intricate patterns worked into the stone floor, the mosaics and frescoes, whose faded and peeling colors merely hinted at the artistry put into their creation. Eager to reach the tombs before the sun reached its zenith, I continued on, trying to navigate the sweeping halls and broken stairwells towards where I believed the apartments of the king lay. As I moved deeper into the palace, I could feel something, some primal urge dragging me on. I knew somehow that I was headed in the right direction. The feeling began to grow from a faint whisper to a shout, and when I found myself standing before a set of intricately carved doors, untouched by the ravaging fingers of looters and decay, I knew I had found the chambers of the king. The ease with which the doors opened caused a twinge of alarm somewhere deep within my mind, but the thrill of discovery drowned it out. The king's apartment was a wreck. The hangings torn from the walls, the furniture smashed, left to rot in broken heaps throughout the chambers. The archways that connected the rooms were smooth as glass, as if some great thing had continually squeezed its bulk through them over the course of hundreds of years. There were wide swaths of the floor that matched the arches, and I followed one of these paths through the rooms until I found the yawning mouth of a hole in one of the walls. Approaching it, I could see a stone staircase spiraling down into the darkness. The steps were slippery, and I trod upon them with great care, knowing one false step could mean the loss of my lantern, or worse yet, a headlong plunge into darkness. I made my way down into the blackness for what felt like hours. I began to see softening in the darkness below me, and as I made yet another turn on the treacherous steps, sunlight burst into view at the end of the long passage. I was nearly blinded by the sun when I emerged. As my vision returned, the sight before my eyes took my breath away. I was standing on a wide causeway that connected the tunnel to the sprawling expanse of tombs, a city even greater than the one of legend I had left behind. Cyclopean monoliths of stone stretching like skeletal fingers into the sky. When I regained my composure, I started across the causeway noting the angle of the sun above my head. The bridge led directly into the great, intricately carved archway of the first tomb, which looked as if it had been erected only yesterday. The arch opened into a room with a beautifully inlaid floor, its massive, spiraling design composed of green and blue tiles, each no bigger than my thumbnail. A staircase snaked its way up the exterior walls, nearly invisible unless glimpsed at the correct angle. I ascended, ignoring the complaints from my back and legs. Emerging into the sunlight, I found myself in a room with four ornate arches, open to the north, south, east, and west. In the center of the room was a dais of white marble, upon which lay a beautiful coffin, inlaid with gold and precious stones. The room offered breathtaking views of the sprawling city of monuments, and I stood for a long time, speechless at the vastness that lay before me. I spent the rest of the day exploring the surrounding tombs, each connected by a series of bridges and causeways. The time required for each minute detail was staggering. It must have taken massive teams of builders and artisans years to craft each one. While each of the tombs I entered was unique from its neighbor in terms of style and craft, they all shared one characteristic the ornate and beautiful coffin found in an open room at the pinnacle. The majesty of the place was dwarfed only by the crippling sense of loss that hung over it all. Of all the stories I heard, the accounts I had read, none could adequately describe that feeling. And even as I experienced it, I could not find a way to put it into words. It was a weight upon my soul. I camped that night on one of the causeways, but I lit no fire. Feeling that such a base act would blaspheme this sacred place. The night was clear, and the moon and stars illuminated the monuments, giving them the appearance of polished ivory and bone. I stood on the causeway, unable to sleep, still marveling at my surroundings. It was then that I saw the green light again, flitting through the open top of a nearby tomb. This time the light did not disappear when I looked, instead, it danced before my disbelieving eyes. Unbidden, my hand clutched the golden charm at my throat. There seemed to be some disturbance in the air around the light, like a heat shimmer around a flame. The night sky around it was muddled, unfocused. Then the light disappeared. I swallowed, frozen where I stood. Scanning the surrounding tombs for a sign of the light proved fruitless. A breeze sprang up. I could hear it whistling through the open doorways and arches around me. I pulled my cloak tight around my shoulders. Finally able to move, I fumbled for my lantern, anything to soften the cold light from above. The sound of the wind grew louder as I attempted to light it. The rushing sound stopped almost as quickly as it began, and I raised my lantern. There was nothing else on the causeway. I relaxed a bit, until I looked up towards the top of the nearest tomb. The green light blazed down at me, surrounded by that eerie, shimmering disturbance. I could see the stone of the tomb in the night sky through the shimmer, but they were muted, somehow duller. The weak flame of the lantern did little at that distance. I stood transfixed as the light began to move down the side of the tomb. As it descended, my mind registered what I was seeing. The shimmer was a great amorphous body, nearly transparent. The point of light was the eye of a great creature. My mind screamed at my legs to move, but I was frozen. As it drew nearer, I could make out grasping hands at the end of bulging, powerful arms. The thing was crawling down the tomb headfirst. Upon reaching the causeway, it lowered itself back on its haunches, squatting like a giant ghostly toad. I could see through its massive bulk, everything behind it distorted by the thing's strange existence. It sat there, waiting. I couldn't comprehend what I was looking at. Part of it began to shift, and a section of the amorphous body around the ghostly green light began to bulge forward. The bulge resolved itself into a thick serpentine neck, at the end of which was perched an ancient crumbling skull. Clinging to the remains of the lower jaw was an impossibly long beard that dangled nearly to the smooth flagstones of the causeway. The green point of light danced maddeningly between the empty sockets. The jaw hanging open in an eternal, gap toothed leer. Why have you come? The voice was deeply resonant. It was more like a vibration within my bones than something I heard. Swallowing, I tried to find words. The green light continued its maniacal dance. I came. I came because I had to know if the legends were true. For a long time, the creature sat silently contemplating. "'If he is not careful, a man can be consumed by his obsessions.' I nodded. The thing made a sweeping gesture with one of its massive arms, indicating the silent monuments that stretched in all directions from where we stood. "'This... this is all the obsession of one man.' One man who could never understand the price of his grief. Do you have any idea the true cost of this place? The creature shook its head, the beard swishing against the stone of the causeway with a nearly imperceptible rustle. Of course you don't. I have spent millennia building this. I watched my city degenerate into decadence and darkness and did not raise a finger to stop it. The worst sin of it all is that each of these tombs lies empty. She did not die in this city, no. In the end, her love was not mine to claim. She rests somewhere far from here. Her bones long ago turned to dust. And yet the tombs still grow. I thought I could quench the fires of my grief by creating monuments to it. And I did for nearly ten thousand years. As my people killed each other in the streets, As unspeakable rituals were carried out in my city, I built shrines to loss to a woman who had discarded my love. It was only after the city stood empty for nearly 2,000 years that I began to understand the true cost of what I had done. I let my city die. I gave up my humanity long before I became the thing you see before you. But I keep building the tombs. I journey into the corpse of my city and I take from it only to build here. But these tombs are no longer for her. These are the monuments to what I let be lost. These are the tombs of my people, of my city. Look upon my works and despair. I stood speechless, and suddenly that tickle of thought from the day before made sense. I had seen the evidence of the creature's thefts all over the city excised chunks of rock from buildings missing statuary, never could I have imagined what those things meant, that this creature that called itself King Zaminidus was slowly demolishing one city to build another. It began speaking again, the deep rumble of its voice snapping me from my fevered thoughts. And what do you plan to do now that you have found my city? Return from whence you came and tell the world of your discovery? I swallowed. That will not happen. The creature rumbled. You are not the first man to find his way here, nor will you be the last. I tensed, my hand dropping to the hilt of my dagger. Relax, traveler. I have no interest in harming you. Your weapon would do little to save you if I did. This city keeps its own secrets. It is a cursed place. We are victims of its curse, you and I. Once you set foot outside its gates, You will slowly forget how you found your way here. It will be years before you forget entirely, but the curse will take it, one piece at a time, in much the same way that I am dismantling the city, one piece at a time until all that is left are the dreams of this place, which you will half remember upon waking and weave into stories to tell children in the bazaar. May your return journey be a safe one, traveler. With a sound like a great rushing wind, the creature was gone. I stood alone on the causeway for a long time, unable to truly comprehend the events which had just transpired and the message conveyed by the soul spirit haunting a long dead city. Boy, yes, you boy, come here for a moment. The child stopped outside the shadowy tent of the incense cellar, unable to fully glimpse the man within the hazy interior. The incense cellar leaned forward and the afternoon sun danced along the curves of the golden charm dangling around the man's neck. Have you ever heard tell of the tomb city, lost to the memory of man among the sands of time? The boy nervously shook his head. Well, boy, business is slow. The sun is hot, and I have stories to tell. Come in.
0: Thank you for listening to the first episode of Tales from the In-Between. Please do not forget to rate, review, subscribe, and give us a follow on Instagram at Tales from the Inbetween. Questions, comments, want to buy a print of some of the episode art? Contact us at tales from the at gmail.com. Until next time, listeners.